remember that it's about a pig and a spider. Do you remember reading Charlotte's Web? I like Charlotte because she could like write words with her web. I think I like Wilbur the pig. He was just so cute and lovable. And I love the friendship. I remember that. It was just really cool and unexpected, and it just made me feel um, you could be friends with anybody. I just remember that I loved that it was from the animal's point of view. I thought it was really cute that the animals had their own lives and emotions, and they, they loved each other a lot. And I loved the relationship between Fern and Wilbur. This is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. My name is Lindsay Jacobson, and I sometimes call myself a professional bookworm. I get to read a lot of new books coming out for today's kids, but I've been wondering whether my favorite books, those classic children's books we all know and love, will still be relevant, say, 50 to 75 years from now, and whether kids in classrooms and households all over the world still feel connected to these beloved stories. On today's show, we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. It was a good book, and it's one of those things that probably is in the memory of most Americans. It feels timeless. It doesn't matter whether it's 2018 or in the 80s or, you know, when it was originally written. It's a story that I think we can all relate to. And it has captivated the hearts of readers over time with its wonderful story of a barn spider named Charlotte who saves the life of a pig named Wilbur. If I read that in first grade and I'm 43 years old and I feel emotional just thinking about that book, you know, that's just so powerful for a piece of art to leave a mark like that on your heart. That's what art is, that's what it should do. Books should do that. So they're so special and powerful. On our show today, we'll tap into what makes Charlotte's Web one of the greatest children's books of all time. And we'll even bring the story to life for you with E.B. White himself. This is a story of the barn. I wrote it for children and to amuse myself. It is called Charlotte's Web and I will read it to you. We'll also share with you some interesting tidbits about E.B. White, like how he even got interested in spiders in the first place, and one particular experience he had with a pig in his own life. We'll also talk about what he thought Charlotte's Web represented, and what two authors writing for today's kids, Jody Kendall and Lisa Greenwald, love most about this classic. So let's turn to page one of Charlotte's Web and get started. Chapter one, before breakfast. Where's Papa going with that axe, said Fern to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. Not quite the opening line you'd expect for a children's book, right? E.B. White captures our attention immediately, then sets up the scene and gets right to the point. Well, said her mother, one of the pigs is a runt. It's very small and weak, and it will never amount to anything. So your father has decided to do away with it. Do away with it, shrieked Fern. You mean kill it? Just because it's smaller than the others? Mrs. Arrow will put a pitcher of cream on the table. It's also very matter-of-fact and true to E.B. White's writing style. Although he wrote other children's books you might know, such as Stuart Little and The Trumpet of the Swan, White primarily wrote nonfiction and was a contributor to The New Yorker. Your father is right. The pig would probably die anyway. Fern pushed a chair out of the way and ran outdoors. The grass was wet and the earth smelled of springtime. Fern's sneakers were sopping by the time she caught up with her father. Please don't kill it, she sobbed. It's unfair. Mr. Arable stopped walking. Fern, he said gently, you will have to learn to control yourself. Control myself, yelled Fern. This is a matter of life and death, and you talk about controlling myself. 
You can hear the injustice in Fern's voice. And perhaps you can remember those moments from your childhood when you thought grown-ups were being unfair. For writer Jody Kendall, the opening scene is just right. I really did like how it opened up with the high stakes. And the main character immediately knew from seeing the axe that, you know, this is a life or death situation. And especially when you're emotionally connected with an animal, you know, you just would do anything to save it. Jody's love and passion for Charlotte's Web worked its way into her novel, The Unlikely Story of a Pig in the City. She makes direct references to E.B. White's book and tells the modern day story of a girl named Josie who's trying to save a pig. Yeah, I didn't want to rewrite the book. The book is amazing. Why? Who, who needs to rewrite it? <laughs> but I had this experience as, you know, uh, a kid and having a pig and Charlotte's Web being one of my favorite childhood stories. It was one of the first books that I remember truly falling in love with because I just related to Fern's immediate connection with animals. And I've always felt that inside, that immediate connection with animals. And so I did try to have these moments of like you said, this modern-day inspiration tie-in with my own story and my own inspiration and experiences, but also sort of showing the tribute of my love of that book and how it has stayed with me for so long. Did you catch that? When Jodi was a kid, she actually had a pig, just like Fern and Charlotte's Web. Some would say she's Fern in real life. When I was about 13, my brother showed up with this piglet. He had saved. It was a runt on a farm. And it was destined for certain death. And so my brother snuck it off the farm and he brought it into his college dorm and hid in his football helmet. And it was there for like two weeks in his dorm. So he just showed up on a holiday break. And I believe it was a Thanksgiving break, which just showed up with this pig. And, you know, he really tapped into the emotions of the family of us wanting to save the pig. And, uh, you know, we didn't want it to go die at this farm from starvation. We didn't want it to go off to some bacon farm. And, you know, my dad was not on board with like us keeping this pig. And it was also winter. So this was a real true farm pig. So this wasn't some potbelly pig or something that's a little bit more well known today as a house pet. How big does this pig grow up to be? So we got her, you know, she's eight pounds or something really tiny, snuggly. But this pig, you know, farm pigs grow fast. And that's, you know, for a reason they are prey animals in the wild. And uh, her name was Ellie. By the time Ellie left our home, she was about 180 pounds. (laughs) That is unbelievable. Yeah, it was on my mom's birthday, finally, when she left. And my mom said it was the best birthday present she ever received. No, I'm sure she loved the pig. I think she did. But, you know, um, as wonderful as the pig was, because she was really loving and she really was bonded with us. She also, you know, pigs are very intelligent animals. They're one of the most intelligent animals out there. Did she get into some trouble? Yeah. Our pig, Ellie, got into a lot of mischief. And some of it was humorous at the time. And as a kid, I remember it just felt like this big adventure. And now as a parent looking back, I'm a little horrified at some of the things that she had um, ripped up the tiles. And she lived in our house. And we had the spot between the kitchen and the dining room that was like this little room we called the dinette kind of like a little breakfast nook. And we made it into like a paste stall, like literally with like (laughs) it sounds horrifying as a parent now because I'm thinking, how did my parents allow this? Like it was literally having a stall inside of our house. You guys grew up, you had a lot of pets growing up. I read that you had, you know, hamsters and uh lizards and a bunch of different animals. We did, although the pig was kind of the odd one, more especially, too, because of her size and all the mischief she got into. The other animals weren't. But 
You're right. Having an unusual animal wasn't necessarily unusual for us. Right. You guys were animal people, which is a good start. Yeah. I don't think my mom would have allowed the pig to stay. And I mean, your parents did. They allowed it to stay. So tell me about the, so that you made this enclosure. And then Mm -hmm. what happened? Did she, you said she got into the tile? Yeah. She ripped up all the tiles. And, you know, part of it, I think looking back now, I can see that she was probably bored. I remember snuggling up with her and scratching her back and feeding her frosted mini wheats and stuff like that (laughs) and giving her baths upstairs. And those were a lot of just emotions and things I did try to tie into the book because some of the adventures are different. But Mm -hmm. she learned how to open up the cabinets, peel off labels off all the soup cans. So I remember one time, you know, we didn't know what was in any of the cans because all the labels had been ripped off. And she could bite into a soda can and make it spray and then drink all the Coca-Cola. So I think that actually led into the soup cans because she was looking for soda cans. That is amazing. Yeah. And she, you know, could jump the little fence that we had built. And, you know, it was just I have a lot of memories, too, of her hooves like running and sliding and clip clopping around the wood floors. So kind of the sounds, too, is like a really sensory thing now looking back. Right. That's very atmospheric. Like I'm I'm picturing it and I'm hearing it as you're saying that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So she was 180 pounds when she left you. And that was she was around six months. Yeah. Like what happened after that? Did you bring her to a farm? Where'd she go? So she did go to a farm and I never saw her again. No. Right. I know. Looking back that like I'll think, you know, especially now that I'm very sensitive to the idea about human animal relationships and the bonds that's there. And I've you know, I, my dog that recently passed away, I had him for almost 15 years and really feeling connected to an animal. And some of the best times of my life and the best experiences have been with non-humans. And mm-hmm. so looking back, I, I do feel like I feel bad as if, you know, she she trusted us and she really knew us. And I wonder what that next thing was for her, you know, if she missed us and experienced things because, you know, pigs can have different types of you know, band of emotions. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know what happened to her. And that might be part of the reason that I wrote kind of the story Yeah, was understanding and wanting to know what happens to a pig and the the main character wanting to see that all full circle. Ever since she was a kid, Jodi has loved animals. And you can tell. She ended up pursuing her passion to write and became a wildlife journalist. And among the many things she loves about Charlotte's Web are all the sensory details that E.B. White used to make the barn come alive and how he didn't hold back on the true nature of animals. I remember when Charlotte was explaining about drinking the blood, and I felt inside a little bit of Wilbur's reaction of like, ah, it's gross. It's true, and I have to say what is true. I'm not entirely happy about my diet of flies and bugs, but it's the way I'm made. A spider has to pick up a living somehow or other, and I happen to be a trapper. But I think as a writer, it was really crafty to show that perspective and that response. And that that's a natural response to be a little grossed out. But that this is a natural course of life for the species. Mm-hmm. And I think that with our young readers, we do need to be direct in a lot of those ways about, you know, things in a very, you know, appropriate way. And I think that by not talking down to the reader and educating them on the species was the you know right move to go. The notion of not talking down to the reader, as Jody just put it, speaks a lot to who E.B. White was. When you think about it, he spent most of his career writing for adult audiences. He was a contributor for The New Yorker, where his wife Catherine was an editor, and they were quite the literary power couple, revered for their high-level work. He was a masterful storyteller, full of candor, and that perhaps explains why Charlotte's Web is not like any other children's book. It doesn't sugarcoat about what life is like on a farm and is very matter-of-fact. E.B. White described his book to be about 
friendship, life, death, and salvation. He called it a study of miracles, tinged with the faint but pervasive odor of the barn. It smelled of grain and of harness dressing and of axle grease and of rubber boots and of new rope. And whenever the cat was given a fish head to eat, the barn would smell of fish. But mostly it smelled of hay, for there was always hay in the great loft up overhead. In Charlotte's Web, Fern's able to stop her father from slaughtering the pig. She ends up taking care of the animal and names him Wilbur. But after five weeks go by, Fern's father says it's time for the pig to be sold. And so Fern ends up selling Wilbur to her uncle. Fern came almost every day to visit him. She found an old milking stool that had been discarded, and she placed the stool in the sheepfold next to Wilbur's pen. Here she sat quietly during the long afternoons, thinking and listening and watching Wilbur. It seems that E.B. White himself had some type of emotional connection with the pig on his own farm in Maine. In 1948, E.B. White wrote a beautiful essay called Death of a Pig. It's an ironic account of how he tried to save the life of a pig he'd actually planned to slaughter. Here's an excerpt from the essay you've got to hear. The news of the death of my pig traveled fast and far, and I received many expressions of sympathy from friends and neighbors, for no one took the event lightly, and the premature expiration of a pig is, I soon discovered, a departure which the community marks solemnly on its calendar, a sorrow in which it feels fully involved. I have written this account in penitence and in grief as a man who failed to raise his pig and to explain my deviation from the classic course of so many raised pigs. And there's actually been some speculation that his writing of Charlotte's Web was a follow-up to his story about the death of his pig. But writing Charlotte's Web didn't happen so easily. Apparently, E.B. White didn't like the first drafts he'd written, and surprisingly, Fern wasn't even a character at that point. So White pushed the story aside for a while before rewriting it. And here's what he said in one of his published letters about rewriting the book. I'm glad I rewrote Charlotte's Web, even though it took an unconscionable time to do it, as it gained in the process, I think. Whether children will find anything amusing in it, only time will tell. But no doubt they will like it better if my barn cellar were loaded into a spaceship and exploded into the general direction of Mars. But as we now know, time did tell. Charlotte's Web quickly became a bestseller and is still very popular today. It's even been made into a movie, twice. And one of the most beloved characters in the book is the heroine, Charlotte, who's a charming spider. In this part here, E.B. White describes for us the moment when Wilbur and Charlotte meet in the barn for the first time. Look up here in the corner of the doorway. Here I am. Look, I'm waving. At last, Wilbur saw the creature that had spoken to him in such a kindly way. Stretched across the upper part of the doorway was a big spider web and hanging from the top of the web, head down, was a large gray spider. She was about the size of a gumdrop. She had eight legs, and she was waving one of them at Wilbur in friendly greeting. Perhaps E.B. White was destined to write this story, given all the time that he spent on his farm in Maine, observing and taking care of animals. But it was a spider that really grabbed his attention and helped inspire Charlotte's Web. Surprisingly, White hated spiders until he watched one of them weave a web in his barn. He considered it to be a skillful weaver and named the spider, you guessed it, Charlotte. And just like Charlotte in the book, this spider had a web in a doorway of White's barn. One time he even took a spider egg sack back with him to New York City. He placed it in a small box with air holes in it, and sometime later, these little spiders hatched and left their silk 
all over his apartment. Okay, that sounds like my worst nightmare. To be honest, I've always hated spiders, but reading this book changed that for me. It's these themes of friendship, selflessness, life, and death that really put my lifelong fear of spiders into perspective. It was almost meditative for me. I wasn't focused on the fact that I hated spiders. Instead, I learned from a spider. I learned about all the little idiosyncrasies that make a spider fascinating. And I learned from Charlotte, this very wise, fantastical arachnid, that life is short and we have to make the most of it. I think you're beautiful, said Wilbur. Well, I am pretty, replied Charlotte. There's no denying that. Almost all spiders are rather nice looking. I'm not as flashy as some, but I'll do. I wish I could see you, Wilbur, as clearly as you can see me. Why can't you, asked the pig. I'm right here. Yes, but I'm nearsighted, replied Charlotte. I've always been dreadfully nearsighted. It's good in some ways, not so good in others. Watch me wrap up this fly. As we've heard throughout the show, Charlotte's Web is like no other children's book and is truly a classic. It's packed with all sorts of emotions, and White once described the book as pastoral, seasonal, and concerned with ordinary people in, for the most part, ordinary situations. Like in this description here, where he reveals to the readers Wilbur's concerns about whether to become friends with Charlotte. Well, he thought, I've got a new friend, all right. But what a gamble friendship is. Charlotte is fierce, brutal, scheming, bloodthirsty, everything I don't like. How can I learn to like her, even though she is pretty and, of course, clever? Wilbur was merely suffering the doubts and fears that often go with finding a new friend. And this is such a good example of how E.B. White relates to his readers, especially children who might sometimes be conflicted about who to become friends with. But he also shows his readers how Wilbur overcomes his doubts and embraces Charlotte. After all, she's the one who comes up with the brilliant idea to save him from being slaughtered. In good time, he was to discover that he was mistaken about Charlotte. Underneath her rather bold and cruel exterior, she had a kind heart, and she was to prove loyal and true to the very end. You cannot find any flaws in this book at all. I feel like it's perfect. The sense of loyalty and friendship in this, I mean, I don't even know if there is any better exploration of friendship. That's Lisa Greenwald, and she writes a lot about friendship. Her novels speak to today's tweens caught up in the latest social drama, like her TBH series. That's, to be honest. Her books, TBH This Is So Awkward and TBH This May Be TMI, are completely in-text message, a format that many of our young readers can relate to. Kids are obsessed with texting. I love tweens. I love that young tween age. I love writing dialogue, so it's similar to dialogue. And I think so much can come through in just that simple sort of texting where you can sort of feel the kids emotions without getting overly describey and the whole you know the classic telling instead of showing like I think with TBH in that format it's really all showing and it just comes through that way. And for Lisa Greenwald, Charlotte's Web is still a must read, especially given the way children are growing up in today's tech-driven world. When Lisa isn't writing her novels, she's a school librarian and teaches sixth graders. Also, the element of this book that just is so appealing, too, is the kids are just so free. They're running to the farm, you know, they're with the animals, they're playing outside that swing that Mm -hmm. they talk about, how they love the swing. You almost feel envious of this childhood, you know, for Fern and Avery, because it's just, it is free, and they're just outside, and it's summer. They're not programmed. They're not at, like, 17 different classes in a day. Mm -hmm. They're just outside. They're just living their lives. And it's a very sort of simple, calm, you know, kind world. I love that. And and they also, uh, Fern's mom says, 
you know, why don't you go outside and play with your friends? Like, you're stuck in this barn all day. Whereas now in 2018, if a kid was in a barn all day, that would be considered being outside. Right. Or in New York City, let's say you had a barn experience, they would charge you $1,000 to go sit <laughs> with an animal and it would be seen as this amazing class that had a, you had to camp out exactly. to sign up for it, you know? One of Lisa's favorite parts of Charlotte's Web is the dialogue between Wilbur and Charlotte after Wilbur realizes the great efforts Charlotte undertook to save his life. And Lisa's going to read that part for us now. It's the one when Wilbur says to Charlotte, why did you do all this for me? He asked, I don't deserve it. I've never done anything for you. And then she says, you've been my friend, replied Charlotte. That in itself is a tremendous thing. I wove my webs for you because I liked you. After all, what's a life anyway? We're born. We live a little. We die. A spider's life can't help being something of a mess with all this trapping and eating flies. By helping you, perhaps I was trying to lift up my life a trifle. Heaven knows anyone's life can stand a little of that. When we asked readers what they remember most about the book, here's what we heard a lot about. Friendship and communication. The idea of friendship and uh, being there for a friend. I like teaching it for the empathy of it. For me, mentorship and also being there for a friend and believing in them, seeing what they necessarily can't see. So Charlotte was always so high up in the air and she was making a web of some sort and Wilbur was always low but he always had that reassurance that you know she's there. But we also heard about how the ending of Charlotte's Web is especially surprising for a children's book. I know that the end of the book is unexpected ending because you didn't expect Charlotte to die I guess. E.B. White's editor Ursula Nordstrom actually had concerns about publishing such a sad ending for a children's book but E.B. White insisted and got his way. Goodbye, she whispered. Then she summoned all her strength and waved one of her front legs at him. She never moved again. Apparently, E.B. White broke down crying multiple times when he read aloud the death scene as part of the audiobook version he recorded in 1970. Originally, someone else had been hired to narrate the book, but White disapproved of how it sounded. So he took it upon himself and told the story the way that he thought it should be done. Next day, as the Ferris wheel was being taken apart and the racehorses were being loaded into vans and the entertainers were packing up their belongings and driving away in their trailers, Charlotte died. Readers like Dave Wolf were touched by the way that E.B. White decided to end the book. He remembers reading Charlotte's Web with his kids more than 30 years ago and even listening to the recording. If the author couldn't read it, <laughs> you can imagine what children would come up against it or adult, even adults were surprised that, that you know they would feel so sad about the ending so i think it, it probably helps at least with kids to help them deal with the idea of death and dying and how to cope in life i guess if i mean if you lose a dog or a pet something like a goldfish uh, it helps them deal with inevitability of life and reader gina faragame agrees she and her family have remembered Charlotte's Web because... We had a puppy for five months that we got from a shelter, and we had to let her go, and we've been grieving, and, you know, we talk about it all the time, that loss hurts, and it's because we loved her so much with all our hearts that we're, we're going to get through it together, we're going to find resilience, and that love never ends. And um, 
it reminds me of that story, you know. I feel like that's why that book is so beautiful, because whatever your life looks like, you can connect to it. As novelist Lisa Greenwald sees it, books like Charlotte's Web are tried and true classics, because over time, they still have the power to connect with readers on a variety of levels. I think what makes something a classic and that what makes something read over and over again is really the themes, and the themes that resonate from generation to generation, and family, and tolerance, and empathy, and kindness, and... Um, understanding one another and, you know, looking past people's differences and finding their similarities and things like that will stand the test of time. Both Lisa Greenwald and Jody Kendall think constantly about how to make their books relevant for kids today and for the future. Here's Jody with some final thoughts for our show today. I think that while our society is always changing and politics and technology and all of that, the core human emotion has been the same. And there's love and grief and regret and hate and all of those things. And so I think that as an author, I do try to remember like writing from the essence of what it means to be a human and the full spectrum of emotion that goes into that. And so I think that as an author, it is really important to show a villain, to show overcoming monsters, to help show kids that we can. And if you have a monster in your own life, whatever that metaphor might materialize as, you can overcome it. And I think that we have an extreme responsibility as a children's book author. I mean, I am very grateful for this privilege, and I do not take the responsibility lightly. Uh, So I certainly try to have characters that can reveal strengths and overcome their weaknesses and all of those things are really important in reflecting our today's society and lifting up the voices of um, marginalized voices and we need more diverse books Mm -hmm. and speaking from human emotion into whatever plot concept you bring that about you know whether that's going to be a fantasy or a contemporary or whatever you know if they have a cell phone if they don't you know all that stuff changes but the human spectrum emotion has always been there special thanks to jody kendall and lisa greenwald for joining us you can find more about their books at harpercollins.com also, the narration of Charlotte's Web you heard from E.B. White comes from Listening Library, an imprint of Penguin Random House Audio. If you enjoyed this podcast, help us spread the word about Remember Reading. Tell at least one or two people and help our listenership grow. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and please rate and review us. It helps a lot. Remember Reading's producer is Stephanie Marutis of Cuvenda Media. And I'm Lindsay Jacobson of HarperCollins. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>